Coming up on Studios America, one of my favorite authors is Matt Ridley. Uh, he'll join us tonight to give us a UK-based perspective on coronavirus and the vaccine rollout. And remember when the media pretended that Joe Biden didn't help build the children's cages along the Mexican border. Well, now they can pretend that Joe Biden isn't currently filling them with children. It must be nice to have a whole cover-up apparatus in place. I wish I had one. Did you know that you can help us battle the evil YouTube algorithm robots who are constantly trying to destroy this show? Just head to YouTube uh, for us. Uh, go to uh, you know subscribe, click all the things, uh, like the videos, hop on over to our podcast, do the same thing. If you feel so inclined, it's important to us, so therefore it should be important to you. Uh, everywhere you need to go is at stewdoesamerica.com. Check it out or get signed up to Blaze TV and don't miss a moment of this network's great content. Just head over to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And only for the rest of this week, you'll get 30 bucks off. You've got to do it this week. Now, I know Andrew Cuomo, uh, he's been on the program before. We've been talking about him for a very long time. I knew he was in trouble for his pandemic nursing home response, but I don't even think I thought it was going to get this bad. Yes, it appears the love gov has some issues keeping his hands to himself. So let's do Cuomo's sexual harassment. Stu does America. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Or are the, I, I, I hesitate to say it, but is it me? Or is the tide turning on Andrew Cuomo? I mean, we can't have nice things, right? We're not actually going to get rid of this guy, are we? This isn't really going to happen, is it? It kind of feels like maybe it is. I just, it's hard to believe it's going to come to that. Now, today, there's a new allegation, sort of, out about Andrew Cuomo. We'll get into that in a moment. But before we do and get into the details of this allegation, I want to make sure we are very clear as to where Andrew Cuomo stands on the very serious issue of sexual harassment. This is not something he takes lightly. He's very, very serious about it. And I want to read his exact comments on the issue, just so you're aware. This is from 2018. Every allegation of sexual misconduct must be taken seriously. I agree with Senator Klein, was the subject at the time, that this disturbing situation should be investigated, and I believe it should be done immediately and independently. So now we have a basis as to how this situation should be handled from Andrew Cuomo himself. So let's get into the actual allegation. This is from someone who was his, who worked very closely with Andrew Cuomo. I'm going to read her words uh, from her story she posted today on Medium. She's trying to get some attention for this uh, for this accusation and for her truth, as they would say. And it's important that uh, it is highlighted. Uh, at least that's what I've been told over the past few years. Uh, we're supposed to take these things seriously, which I do. Every accusation should be taken seriously. That doesn't mean that they're all true. So let's go through it and see what she is saying. She says, it's, the article starts, let's play strip poker. I should have been shocked by the governor's crude comment, but I wasn't. We were flying home from an October 2017 event in western New York on his taxpayer-funded jet. He was seated facing me, so close our knees almost touched. 
His press aide was to my right and the state trooper was behind us. Remember this one. It's important because we go back to this here in a little bit. But again, it's okay. He made a joke. Yeah, let's let's play strip poker. Kind of weird to say, uh, especially as a Democrat who wants to take all those sexual allegations seriously. But okay, let's see what else there is. The news of my appointment uh, when she first get this gets this job prompted a warning from a friend who served as an executive with an influ- influential civic engagement organization. Be careful around the governor. Uh, my boss soon informed me that the governor had a crush on me. I don't know if we have the clips from this, but that was uh, one of them. We have a couple more here. Uh, Stephanie Benton, director of the governor's office, uh, told me in an email on December 14th, 2016, that the governor suggested I look up images of Lisa Shields, his rumored former girlfriend, because we could be sisters and I was the better looking sister. The governor began calling me Lisa in front of his colleagues. It was degrading. Now, what you have so far here, crude jokes. um, There's other parts where he's calling her out in, in odd circumstances, trying to get to, alone with her, um, having his security apparatus reach out to her. A lot of strange things. But then we have this. Um, I've tried to ex- excuse his behavior. I told myself it's only words. But that changed after a one-on-one briefing with the governor to update him on economic and infrastructure projects. We were in his New York City office on 3rd Avenue. As I got up to leave and walked toward an open door, he stepped in front of me and kissed me on the lips. I was in shock, but I kept walking. Now, what do you take from this? What do you take from this? You know, you, it's interesting because a lot of it is sort of talk. He, she does mention in the story uh, that she knows other people have gone through similar treatment. Uh, that's been verified in multiple different ways that people were he was treating people in ways that made them uncomfortable continually. Now, remember, the guy's really cool. He's the guy that everyone looks up to, the sexiest man in America or whatever. Uh, so far, the response to this has not been positive from people who are looking on. And I think it's more of a change of the tide here. Um, let me give you a couple of statements. This is uh, Elise Stefanik. She says, Governor Cuomo has earned his title as the worst governor in America. And now every New Yorker knows he's a criminal sexual predator. On December 14th, I was one of the first and one of the only elected officials in New York State to call for an investigation into Governor Cuomo's sexual harassment of Ms. Boylan. It is an inexcusable disgrace that almost every other elected official in New York uh, quietly brushed this serious and credible allegation under the rug. Sadly, much of the media in the state either ignored this matter or chose to report the sexist character and professional smear, uh, sexist character and professional smears of Ms. Boylan by Governor Cuomo's taxpayer-funded staff. I have served in Congress during the height of the Me Too movement, leading to resignations and retirements of my colleagues. Sexual harassment and sexual abuse in the workplace is not a political issue. It's about right and wrong. Governor Cuomo must immediately resign, and any elected official who does not immediately call for his res- resignation is complicit in allowing a sexual predator to continue to lead the great state of New York. Now, in the accusations, they talk a lot about how he would rest his hand on her, on her body, on her legs, on her uh, back. Uh, you know, he just seemed like a pretty creepy guy. He, her mom was freaked out. It was like, don't be alone with this guy. And she has the text 
<laughs> to prove her the, the maternal intuition of her mom was get the hell away from this, this guy. And, and I, it's important to point out, Stefanik is a Republican. The, the woman accusing uh, Governor Cuomo is not a Republican. And many Democrats have come out and made statements as well. Um, the uh, New York State Senate Majority Leader uh, uh, says this is deeply disturbing. Clearly, there is no place for this type of behavior in the workplace or anywhere else. Now, of course, Cuomo has a response to all this, and it's a fascinating Andrew Cuomo-style response, to say the least. Uh, this is coming from the press secretary uh, for Andrew Cuomo. As we said before, Ms. Boylan's claims of inappropriate behavior are quite simply false. In Ms. Boylan's latest blog post, she opens up with a story about a plane trip in October 2017. The manifest of all flights from October 2017 can be found below. There was no flight where Lindsay was alone with the governor, a single press aide, and a New York State trooper. Stop here for a second. I read you the part intentionally about her talking about the whole strip poker thing on the plane and how they were very, very close and she was made uncomfortable in that situation. Did she ever say she was alone with Cuomo and just the press aide and the one trooper? At no point did she say those are the only three people there. Cuomo comes out and mischaracterizes what she wrote, lies about what she wrote, and, and tries to make it seem like we've disproved this big fact from her post, which, of course, obviously, he had not. The statement goes on to say, below is a statement that can be attributed to John Maglior, Howard Zem uh, Zemsky, Danny Lever, and Abby Fashauer Collins, who were all on all of these flights with her. Quote, we were, uh, we were on each of these October flights and this conversation did not happen. Now, number one, have you ever been on a plane before? Have you ever flown on an airplane. There are these big metal things. They've got these long, these wide sort of wings on the side. They go really, really fast on the ground and then they get up in the air. And the way they get going really fast are these very loud engines. Um, how many times can you pick out conversations from other sides of the plane? Unless they were sitting right on top of them, you would not hear a passing comment like that. There's no way to, to, to uh, you'd have to be sitting there literally right next to them the entire flight and uh, and be monitoring their uh, their conversations. There's no way to say this didn't happen. You can't possibly say that on the other side, too. Like, you know, it is a, a private jet, so it's going to be smaller. Um, you might hear some um, uh, some of these conversations, but we've had to fly around for different tours and stuff on these on these types of jets. And like people have all sorts of separate conversations. There's no way. Um, Secondly, the way this is this is typical Andrew Cuomo. Uh, below is a statement that can be attributed to four different people. Now, did they say it? What do you mean it can be attributed to four different people? Did, did they say it? Are they not able to make their own statement about this incident? Why are you summarizing four people's statements and saying you can attribute it to all of them? Did they all say it in unison? Was it like the, the, the kids in The Shining? You came around a corner on a, on, a, on a big wheel and there's four people standing there and they all said in unison, uh, we were on each of these October flights and this conversation did not happen. What do you mean you can attribute it to four different people? Maybe we could hear from these people individually and see what they say about the incident. But even if it, this was what they said, it wouldn't make any sense. Uh, again, this is Cuomo trying to intimidate. We saw this with Ron Kim earlier this week, and now we're seeing it again in this situation. Now, it is important to note, and I, you, know how, you know how I feel about Andrew Cuomo. I mean, I've got a freaking mug on my desk that says Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com.
I don't like the guy. I think the guy has done a lot of damage. I think he's responsible for a lot of people who could be breathing at this moment uh, that are not breathing. So I don't like Andrew Cuomo. I think he's done a terrible job as governor. And I think the media has, is very guilty in the way they've handled this particular situation. That's separate from this. Just like anybody else, Andrew Cuomo deserves uh, to be assumed, uh, presumed to be innocent uh, until proven guilty. He gets that right, even from me. And I hate I hate to give him anything. Um, he, nothing is nothing has been proven. It's an accusation. She says she has other people. There have been other people who have been rumored to come out on this front. I, I we don't know. We're just going to have to look into each each one and and judge it on its merits. Um, it is completely consistent with everything I've ever heard about Andrew Cuomo, not only from in the media publicly, but people who have worked in and uh, with and around him. Um, I'm not surprised to hear this, but it is important to note that he is he gets the presumption of innocence just like everybody else. Um, we have to be sure not to convict someone on the basis of an allegation. That is not how the society works. And even j- complete douches like Andrew Cuomo deserve that protection. But we can convict, however, the media for hypocrisy here. You know, here's a guy who came out and he said investigations need to happen. And it's not just that because uh, you're getting a little bit of a rumbling today about these stories from about the Cuomo accusation. But these are not brand new. These are not brand spanking new. These actually came out in December and there was barely a blip. Let me give you this is this is the same person tweeting this stuff in December. My first experience of work, workplace sexual harassment was when my mom got her first real office job after graduating from college when I was in high school. She was so excited to be taken seriously. Her boss isolated her and kissed her. She had never had that type of job again. It was then I learned how hard it is for women, how hard it, how hard this world can be for us when we are trying to be taken seriously and help our community. How easily jerks can destroy the lives of women. And I promised myself I would never let those kind of guys win. I would work hard in my whole life to be put uh, myself in positions of power to change things, to end the violence and corruption, give voice to the voiceless. I am not stopping. I refuse. I will never give up. Yes, Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed me for years. Many saw it and watched. I could never anticipate what to expect. Would I be grilled on my work, which was very good, or harassed about my looks? Or would it be both in the same conversation? It was this way for years, not knowing what to expect uh, uh, was uh, what's the most upsetting part of, of not knowing what to expect? What's the most upsetting part aside from uh, knowing that no one would do a damn thing even when they saw it? No one. And I know I am not the only woman. I'm angry to be put in this situation at all. That's because I am a woman. I can work hard my whole life to be to better myself and help others and yet still fall victim as countless women over generations have, mostly silently. And I hate that some men like Andrew Cuomo abuse their power. Now, Cuomo was asked about this back in December, and here is his response. I heard about the uh, tweet uh, and what it said about uh, comments that I had made, and uh, it's not true, Zach. Uh, look, I, I fought for and I believe uh, a woman has the right to come forward and express her opinion. Uh, and uh, express issues and, and concerns that she has. Uh, but it's uh, it's just not true. Mm. I mean, according to his own standard, that doesn't really matter. Uh, but beyond that, it's important to look at this and see that the media now has changed. While it was mostly ignored, asked you know one question about it back in the day, it is 
picking up steam. I mean, people are really looking at this. They know, everyone in New York knows that Andrew Cuomo is abusive to people. He's been doing this for years and years and years. It's his management style. He yells at people. He abuses people. He, I mean, and we all know he's an incredible liar. And I don't mean incredible like a talented liar. He's a bad liar. But he lies all the time to the public. All that's much more... Uh, visceral, I think, to a lot of people because they see this sort of stuff and they don't know if it's true or not. And that's that's the right way to react to it. But I will say, I think the tide is turning a little bit. I mean, is it possible? You know, is it possible? Is it possible? You know, look at the way the tide is turning here. You know, this normally I feel like something like this would happen and she would be silenced. She wouldn't be able to say anything. Uh, She was not silenced. Ron Kim, the Democrat, uh, was not silenced after he was harassed by Andrew Cuomo on a uh, a call where he was yelled at for just telling the truth. Um, You know, the 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 nursing home stuff that has come out now. Is the tide really starting to turn? We don't know if these accusations are true or not from this woman. Um, We're going to keep looking into them. If we find out more evidence, we'll bring it to you. The only thing we know for sure, of course, and this is the most, potentially the most important thing. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. I'm joined once again by one of my favorite authors, Matt Ridley. He is the author of How Innovation Works and Why It Flourishes in Freedom. Matt, it's been too long. How are you? It's great to see you, too. Thank you. I'm fine. It's oh, good to hear. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time. Um, we, you know, we, it's been a while since we talked. When your book came out, we did a, a lengthy interview that I encourage people to go back on YouTube and, and watch and make sure to pick up Matt's book. It's, it's fantastic, and it, it does so much to explain how society has advanced and civilization has advanced. Um, I, I want to start here because I want to get into vaccines and the way we're progressing with COVID. But can we start with your book? Um, you talk about uh, uh, about vaccines and how they were discovered. And I found it to be a fascinating part of it that told the tale of sort of this pattern of innovation and how it develops. Yes, it's 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 a very nice example of of how it doesn't come from the elite. It comes from ordinary people. Um, in this case, a woman uh, brought it to Europe from Constantinople, a, a British woman who was the wife of the uh, ambassador to Constantinople. She met women in the harem in Constantinople, and they taught her about this practice of of deliberately giving kids a little bit of smallpox. She came back. She persuaded um, high-profile people in the UK to do this. And uh, she was vilified for this. Mm. Something similar happened in the US. A slave brought it to America. Cotton Mather, who was a preacher in Boston in the early 1700s, he had a slave called Onesimus from Africa, who said, you know, back in where I came from, we used to deliberately give a little bit of uh, smallpox to kids from people who had recovered, and it made them immune for life. Cotton Mather mentioned it to uh, a guy called Zabdiel Boylston, who was uh, a medic, and he inoculated everybody at Harvard because there was a, a ship in the harbor that had brought smallpox at the time. Um, and he was, he was, the mob was after him. Uh, Boylston was, was going to be uh, killed for this dangerous idea, but he saved a lot of lives. It's a fascinating example of how the innovation came a long time before we explained it. We didn't know how uh, vaccination worked, how inoculation worked for several hundred years after that. 
But ordinary people had given us a really valuable idea which saved millions of lives. Mm. You know, in, in a way, it's, it's a, as we kind of look now at COVID, there's been this sort of fight back and forth over time. And I think it relates similar to, in a similar way to what, you know, you've talked about this many times when it comes to climate change. And that, like, there's two approaches to this. You can try to essentially repress life and uh, cut off in, with global warming. It would be, you know, uh, electricity use and, and, and emissions. With COVID, it's just human interaction. You can repress life and try to control it that way. Or you can innovate to a longer term solution that lets you, you know, live the life you want to live. And I understand when you don't have a vaccine why you would choose to repress life for some time. I understand that. I mean, as, as difficult as it's been for everybody across the globe, there's an understandable instinct. And in some cases, there's real value in doing that. We, now that we have the vaccine, though, I am very confused as to why we are getting this messaging in both the United States and I believe in the UK as well, of we need to continue to wear masks until 2022, 2023, 2024. Right. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Can you explain this? Well, I think you're right. There's a psychological thing here. There's a group of people who just believe in controlling us, in telling us what we can and can't do. And they've got into the habit of it, particularly over the last year. Uh, and they uh, credit it with too much success, in my view. I mean, it mm. isn't, uh, you know, it has been successful to some degree, but suppressing society, suppressing economic activity, suppressing, uh, you know, the ability to, to, to hug your elderly parents and your young grandchildren, you know, suppressing all these kind of things is a painful and difficult way to do these things. And as you say, a lot of people actually kind of want it to be painful. They, 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 they can't accept that there might be a solution that involves us having fun again. <laughs> and if, if, we, if we vaccinate, uh, then we must release it. The whole point of waiting for the vaccine and of, and of putting up with all these restrictions on how we live our lives over the past year has been so that when the vaccine comes along, we can be liberated. And here in the UK, they keep moving the goalposts and saying, well, you know, we're going to have to, to, to have lockdowns until the numbers start to fall. Well, now the numbers are falling. Well, we'll have to have lockdowns until we deal with these new variants, even um, uh, as, as the numbers are falling. And then we say, well, we'll have to have a lockdown until the vaccine comes along. Well, we've now vaccinated 16 million people and rising in the UK, uh, a third of the population almost, uh, and that includes all the vulnerable people now, or nearly all the vulnerable people. Uh, so almost certainly very few people are going to die now as a result, because the people who die have been vaccinated. And yet we're still told that we can't go to the pub until May or June. Why? It, it's mad. I think actually it will have to give. I think governments will have to recognize uh, that people do want to return to normal lives and they do want to see their grandchildren and they want to have a pint with their friends. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's basic human needs. We've repressed it for an, an entire year uh, and it's it feels like that time is here. And and I think the incentives here are so messed up. I, I know the American media 
is focusing on what I would say they're doing like disclaimer coverage. Like, yes, you know, uh, you get the vaccine and you're 95 percent protected. That doesn't mean 100 percent. So let's do news story after news story after news story on the 5 percent chance that you may get infected. Um, You may be able to transmit it, even though all the studies coming out of Israel and other places are showing that is very, very rare that you could do that. They focus story after story after story on that aspect. And to me, what it's saying to people is don't bother getting vaccinated because it's not going to do anything to change your life. It's not going to help for a very long time. So why bother? And I'm afraid people are going to internalize it that way. Well, I think there's a very good example of this in Europe. Uh, The European Union was furious that Britain got Uh, approval quicker for vaccines and set about organizing vaccination programs much more efficiently and much more quickly. We've we've done more vaccinations than the rest of the European Union put together now Mm. in Britain. And that's because we left the European Union, we take our own decisions, we're quite quick and decisive now about things. And that didn't go down well in in Brussels. And so they threatened to cut off the supply from factories uh, on the European continent of vaccines uh, and said that they demanded that AstraZeneca make its vaccines available to the European Union, even though their contract uh, wasn't was behind our contract, as it were, because we'd got signed them up sooner. Mm -hmm. And then they turned around and said both Macron and the Germans said, by the way, we don't think the AstraZeneca vaccine works. It was invented in Britain, so it can't work. We we understand that it has only 8% protective effect, effect, effectiveness. Well, that was actually based on a complete misreading of a number. It's about 95% effective. Mm. Um, but the result is that a lot of Germans are refusing that vaccine. They say, we'll take any vaccine, but not the AstraZeneca one. Uh, we don't like that because we've been told it doesn't work. This is the vaccine they, they tried to sue the company to get the to deliver to them, but they also told their population it wouldn't work. Now, that's that's really disgraceful behavior. And I think many of us are, are very shocked that governments in France and Germany have behaved in this way. It's fascinating because the Brexit d- debate, I mean, so much of that was this evil nationalism that the, the Brits had. Uh, it really seems like that. what you're telling me now is the European Union seems to have that same sort of strange almost nationalism, even though I guess you can't call it nationalism with the European Union. Um, I do find it interesting that one of the big warnings about Brexit at the time was that medications and vaccinations would not get into Britain because of this backward thinking of Brexit. I mean, that this has immediately been disproved. Yeah, no, it's, it's a spectacular example of how uh, we, we took the decision about regulating, uh, about approving the vaccines quicker, uh, we signed the contracts to sign up with the, the vaccines quicker. We put a businesswoman in charge, a friend of mine called Kate Bingham, who who's a venture capitalist in biotechnology. She knew half these firms. She knew BioNTech, etc. She went to the right firms, signed them up early, gave them uh, the sort of contracts that that, that that worked for them and worked for us, um, and uh, got the approval through quick. We put the army in charge of making sure that uh, people could get to vaccination centers. Uh, and we're now second only to Israel as the most vaccinated country uh, on the planet. Now, if that doesn't disprove the ridiculous fear stories we had to put up with for about five years about how Brexit would make us uh, a backward and inward looking country, quite the reverse. This was about leaving a, a, a monolithic empire and going getting back into the world. Many of us said that at the time, but we are quite 
relieved to find that we were right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, uh, let me one more question on vaccines before we go forward. Uh, there's this idea. Uh, there's this conversation about mandating uh, this vaccine. Now, I am very against any sort of government mandate on this thing, even though I'm America's most pro vaccine person. Um, but uh, there is this thought that and I, I find this to be true with people that I talk to, that if you mandate it, less people will want to take it. People will push back against it. There, there's an internal incentive, you know, especially in America, I know, to fight back against those sorts of things. Is that, is that shown uh, in, in, in the data over these uh, similar stories over time? Yes, I think that's right. I think when you start making things compulsory, people get suspicious uh, and they don't like it and they their natural rebelliousness comes out. So I think you do a huge amount of persuading but you don't make it mandatory with one or two small exceptions. And I'll come to those uh, in a second. But if you if you look at the UK experience, we were hoping for 75 to 85 percent take up of vaccines. We're getting 85 to 95 percent take up of mm. vaccines. Um, but the one area where it's been disappointing is quite a lot of healthcare workers are refusing vaccinations, quite a lot of younger ones and quite a lot of people from ethnic minorities. And it seems like that among certain people who are spending a lot of time on social media or whatever, they are getting exposed to uh, false myths about vaccines. And it does feel to me that at some point we should say to a doctor or a, a nurse, if you don't take a vaccine and you therefore increase the risk to your patients, then sorry, you're out of a job. We're not going to force you to have the vaccine, but we are going to take away your job. No jab, no job. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, I think that's been something uh, been talked about a lot in, in an internal sort of healthcare environment. It is a little bit different, but again, different than a government mandate, at least here in the United yep. States. Um, exactly. Before uh, we let you go, you're in the House of Lords. You work on science and technology there, um, among other things. Uh, you uh, there's been this conversation of where covid came from. That goes back, obviously, to the, the genesis of this. There was the, the, the initial conversation about it coming from, from an animal, pangolin or whatever. Um, there was this impression that maybe it had leaked out unintentionally from a lab. Uh, there's this new sort of theory about uh, maybe frozen foods had something to do uh, with the cause. I, I, if I remember correctly, uh, last year at some point you had written uh, something about that you thought the most likely answer was it did come from an animal in that sort of not necessarily from the, the wet market, but some sort of transmission. Where do you think we are on that? Do we have any, any, any information as to this puzzle being solved? There's a lot more information come out in the last year, and it has changed my mind considerably. Mm. Uh, I, uh, um, I don't know the answer yet. Uh, I'm looking into it. I'm, I'm writing about it. Um, but for me, the evidence for uh, the wildlife trade being responsible for this virus getting into the human population has got much weaker mm. because all the animals in that market tested negative. Some of the people in the market uh, hadn't some of the people with the early cases hadn't been to the market uh, and uh, the early cases don't show the sort of rapid evolution that you would expect for a virus that has just jumped out of another species. Um, which happened in the case of SARS, for example. So that evidence, the evidence for the natural origin has got much weaker in the last year. 
The evidence for the lab origin, on the other hand, has got somewhat stronger because we now know a lot more uh, about the virus hunting expeditions to Yunnan that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was doing. Uh, and in particular, the only known link that we have between a uh, wild SARS-2-like virus in the wild, in bats, and the city of Wuhan is the fact that scientists went to Yunnan, collected bats from a disused mine shaft in, a, in Mojiang County in, in Yunnan, brought them back to Wuhan for experiments. Now, that might sound like just going down the road and collecting locally. It's not. It's the distance from New York to Orlando. Wow. You know, this was a long, long way away. Mm. And that's the only link we have between the, the reservoir of this virus and the city of Wuhan. So uh, I'm afraid the possibility that, that this was a laboratory escape, and there have been lots of laboratory escapes. There were, there were, there were four in Beijing of SARS in 2004, uh, just mistakes made in laboratories. Um, that possibility has to be taken very seriously indeed. And the World Health Organization endorsing the theory that it got to Wuhan on frozen meat or frozen fish, for which there is zero evidence and which is highly implausible, because why didn't it go to other cities that were also supplied by the same farms and the same wholesalers? Mm. Um, the, the, the WHO um, endorsing that theory to please their Chinese hosts uh, earlier this month, I'm afraid, was a very low point for that organization. And is that what we think it is? I mean, is is it is the WHO as subservient to China as it appears uh, to at least me? Well, it's not entirely its fault. The WHO has no power. Uh, it can't um, uh, uh, bite back at the people who fund it. it. It can't force its way into countries and things like that. So it does have to, to some extent, uh, be uh, be uh, sort of pull its punches. But the contrast between the way it's behaving at the moment and the way it behaved over the first SARS epidemic in 2003-04, when it reprimanded China for not being more transparent about uh, the origin of the virus. Uh, whereas this time, uh, it's all over China and it's thoroughly sycophantic and endorsing these mad theories that nobody in the world believes. And I'm afraid it's really damaging the World Health Organization's reputation, which is a pity because we need a good, strong, sensible World Health Organization. We're not getting one at the moment. Yeah, it doesn't seem like we do have one. Uh, Matt Ridley, I appreciate you taking the time. The book is How Innovation Works and Why It Flourishes in Freedom. It's one you have to have in your library. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you, Stu. All right, back in a second. So we told you yesterday about The Simpsons and Harry Shearer, the guy who voices a million uh, voices on The Simpsons, uh, also does uh, Dr. Julius Hibbert. He has been banned from doing the voice anymore because he's white and Dr. Julius Hibbert is a cartoon. Also, he's a black cartoon, so he can't do that. Uh, the Simpsons creator, Matt Groening, has spoken out now uh, about that decision. Uh, days after it was confirmed that The Simpsons uh, vet Harry Shearer had been replaced by a voice actor, Kevin Michael Richardson, who had previously voiced white people. So it was okay for him to voice white people, but not the other way around. Just keep track of that if you can. Uh, he told the BBC, times change, but I actually didn't have a problem with the way we were doing it. All of our actors played dozens of characters each. It was never designed to exclude anyone. Um, 
if you remember the way they started at the very beginning, I thought this I thought they handled it really well after this became a dumb controversy. Uh, they had Lisa Simpson basically look at it at the camera and say, look, you know, we started something a long time ago and people praised it. And now it's politically, politically incorrect. What can you do? Uh, and they kind of just blew it off. And that was, oh, I can't believe they're not honoring our complaint. So now they folded a bunch of times. You get the sense, though, at least Harry Shearer. I know Hank Azaria was like this initially, but seemingly publicly changed. Uh, Matt Groening seems to be the same way. They seem to kind of just think this is dumb. I mean, they're going along with it, probably because there's millions of dollars going into their pockets every time they do a show. But it does not seem like they actually buy into this stuff. Uh, but who knows? We'll see how that develops. This one's interesting, too, by the way. This is, uh, I think, is it NBC carrying the show? Nurses? I've never seen the show, frankly. But uh, someone on Twitter uh, uh, has, has pointed out, and their tweet just says, I think this is the most anti-Semitic thing I have ever seen on a TV show. So, you know, it's got to be uh, amazing because there's been a lot of anti-Semitism on TV over the years. Let's watch the clip he's discussed. Uh, he uh, he flagged because this is really amazing. Oh, the graft, where does it come from? It's called an aloe bone graft. It's harvested from a deceased donor. But you want to put a dead leg inside of me? Dead goyim leg. From anyone. An Arab? A woman? Oh, God forbid an Arab woman. Look, you can't be lugging this metal cage around. No, I don't consent. Ezreal, without this next step, you will never walk properly again. Which means forget about basketball. Which is obviously what he wants. It's God who heals what he creates. Oh, yes. You see, the Jew didn't want that potential Arab graph inside of him. So now this is not a thing, as this, as the guy points out, for those of you unfamiliar with Jewish law, which puts a precedent on uh, a healing and saving lives. Uh, there is no prohibition of the kind of bone graft in this clip. The writers made it up, dressed their actors in Jew face and then put random extremist nonsense in their mouth. Now, you don't see this. I, f I feel like the, you're not going to see this happening um, with all sorts of different religions. The Jews seem to get the worst of this for some reason. I don't know, like, why you'd think that it would just be cool. I guess, you know, to put in your show, these Jews certainly don't like the Arabs. Would they do the opposite? I mean, I, I doubt it. I doubt it sincerely, but we'll see uh, if anything comes to this. I would assume because the, the right group uh, would be offended here, then it's going to be okay. And NBC will just move on with their lives because that's kind of what they do. Back in a second. You know, you hate to see it. You hate to see Democrats put in tough, to, uh, tough situations. It bothers me every single time it happens. And there's a situation now going on with the, the kids at the border. You know, there's a reason why we have shirts that you can purchase right now. Who built the cages? Because the question is important for you to answer. Who built the cages? It wasn't Trump. It was Obama. And now Biden's building new ones. So we've got... Got a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, you can get that at stewdoesmerch.com, by the way. Um, Biden is, this is from The Guardian, by the way. Biden is locking up migrant children. Will the world still care with Trump gone? Spoiler alert, no. Uh, this week, Biden administration did the unthinkable. It reopened a Trump-era detention site for migrant children. 
The Biden administration is trying to sell us an, an image of a kinder, gentler imprisonment. <laughs> Unbelievable. Does it feel like we're being sold a bill of goods? Sure does to me. Uh, expanding a long discredited system that detains children cannot be the answer, no matter how good the government wants to make it sound. Every government spins their message. But if we fall unthinkingly for the spin, the fault isn't with them. It's with us. Now, the thing I really hate to see, and I know, you know, I've, I, I mean this from the heart. I feel terrible about this development. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was one of the most outspoken opponents to kids in cages. Then she told us that Joe Biden was going to come and be this wonderful president, told you to vote for him, campaign for him, spoke on his behalf. And here we are already a couple months into the administration and kids are going into cages. This is going to be difficult for her, because if you remember correctly, these cages are literal concentration camps. Okay, go back and look at the Nazis. Look at uh, the people in in, in the uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, And by the way, uh, both of those are going to be uh, socialist to communist governments, not not capitalist. But forget that for a moment and go back and look at the concentration camps that you can remember. Totally the same thing. Uh, And now I would assume she's do we have the pictures of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez crying at the border? Do we have those? Um, I don't. I don't, why aren't you putting them up? Do, you, or do we not, do we not have, I don't understand. Is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez not at the border for Joe Biden's concentration camp? Is she not, cro- did we, is there a crash in the computer or something? Is that why we're not, I'm sure they exist. We'll get you those pictures as soon as we can find them. Uh, she did make a statement. She said, this is not okay. This has never been okay. It never will be okay. No matter the administration or party. However, it's only two months into this administration and our fraud, unjust immigration system will not transform in that time. That is why bold reimagination is so important. Uh, Elon Omar also chimed in and said multiple administrations have made the callous choice to lock up thousands of children check, uh, seeking refuge. You have to see. See, other people have done it. Uh, you got to give them more time because, you know, you can't. What are you going to do? You, of course, got to cage the kids. Who built the cages? I mean, they've got the cages already. Why not put kids in them? If you're going to have cages, you need to imprison children. That's just the way it works. And I'm glad Ilan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are on the same page for these literal concentration camps. All right, if you made it this far in the show, thank you very much. You're part of the Cool Kids Club just for being here. Click like on this video if you don't mind. I mean, it's something that's important to me, so therefore it should be important to you. That's the way I like to think about it. Um, Also, you can get your uh, T-shirts, Who Built the Cages? Uh, I don't know, maybe somebody will answer. If you wear the shirt, maybe someone will tell you who built the cages. I always assume it's Donald Trump. It's always the best answer, but we'll see what happens. Um, Before we leave, (laughs) I want to give you the story of a bizarre movie sequel that may, that almost happened. Um, if you remember E.T., I remember as a kid when E.T. came out, and uh, I remember, I don't remember it being a terrifying movie, although there were some scary parts kind of to it. I do remember lots of Reese's Pieces, which, by the way, greatest candy on earth. Reese's Pieces, totally underrated, should be multiple varieties of it. Why is there only one? I want a peanut butter and jelly one. I want a peanut butter and chocolate one. I want all sorts of different Reese's Pieces. It's totally another, I have a whole show planned on that next week. Just Reese's Pieces. But the series, uh, the sequel was called, get this, 
ET2, Nocturnal Fears. The hell? Uh, it was uh, written um, and pitched uh, by Steven Spielberg himself and the writer, um, Melissa Matheson, in 1982. The pitch is as follows. It's from the AV Club. The first movie's kids are lonely without their old pal E.T., but hopeful that they'll be reunited with the tiny freak again one day soon. Their wishes seem to come true when they end up finding a spaceship. What a coincidence. Ultimately, the treatment tells us the aliens on board are evil. They're also albino carnivores with big red eyes and fangs who are at war with E.T.'s people and have arrived on Earth to mutilate cattle and torture the kids for information on their enemy's whereabouts. During all of this, Elliot experiences, experiences tremendous pain and screams so loudly that his agony is heard throughout the universe. Holy crap! 